In your Bibles this morning, will you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 13? Luke chapter 13. And this morning our passage is in verse 10 through verse number 21. Luke tells us, On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come today before your word and we desire to learn what you have to teach us today. Lord, we have before us the words of our Savior. We have a record of his compassion and his power. And so, Father, may your spirit open our eyes to see what there is to learn of our Savior today and how we may respond to him and to his words. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. This miracle in Luke chapter 13 is significant because it is the first miracle that Jesus has done in the gospel of Luke since back in chapter 11. And really, it's the first detailed miracle account that Luke has given us in more than four chapters, since going back to chapter 9. And what Luke has been doing from chapter 10, 11, and 12 is essentially showing us episodes in the, in the life of Jesus in which he is engaging with the people, with the crowds, and confronting them with his claims, with who he is as the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Son of God. And really, he's been confronting them with the need for repentance. He's been warning his audience to understand the nature of the times that they're living in. He's been showing them that the time in which they were living is a unique time in history. It's a unique time in the history of the world. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God was present among them and they were missing it. Jesus rebuked them because they were able to observe subtle hints in the atmosphere that helped them predict the weather, but they were oblivious 
to the obvious miracles and signs that were being done right in front of them. In this passage, Jesus, in essence, is giving them another chance to notice the weather, to see the signs of what's going on in front of them, to know the signs of the times. And really the the question put before the people here is, will you notice it? Will you notice the signs or will you continue to be blind to it? Also, this miracle of Jesus provides the opportunity for repentance that has been strongly warned about in the last couple of chapters. As we saw last week at the end, will the fig tree produce fruit or not? The fig tree, a symbol of Israel, will it believe in their Messiah? Will it respond in faith and repentance? Will it produce fruit or not? And if not, then it will be cut down. Luke records for us an instance in the life of Jesus when he was in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And this was a common practice of Jesus. He would often go to a synagogue on the Sabbath day in in whatever town he was in. And that's where he would teach and confront people with his message and with his claims. And you know that Luke is doing something here. He's kind of setting us up for what's about to come. Because Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. And previously we've seen already in the Gospel of Luke that this is probably bound to present a confrontation with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. And indeed, it does. And so Jesus is teaching there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And it says in verse 11 that a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. As I think about this woman and I think about her situation, she was probably bent over and hardly able to walk. And she's been in this condition for 18 years. And when I think about this woman, I think about my grandma, my grandma who lived in Nebraska. Every time that in In every one of my memories growing up, when we go visit my grandma in Nebraska, she was always bent over as long as I can remember. And she had this curve in her back and she was always bent over and it was hard for her to get around. And so she'd kind of go from chair to chair or hang on the wall and move through the house. And that, that was my memory of my grandma. Every time that I saw her, she was always bent over like that. And it reminds me that when I read this, it reminded me of of that. And it was, it, was a, it was difficult for her to do anything. And yet she faithfully took care of her family and cooked for us when we visited and did things for us. But here's this woman, 18 years, she's been in this miserable condition. And according to verse number 11, she is in this condition because she is being afflicted by a spirit. So somehow a demon, an evil spirit, is involved in this physical condition. Now, I've said this before in a previous passage in Luke, but we should not necessarily come to the conclusion that every physical ailment is a result of demonic activity. That's not necessarily what Luke is teaching us here. So physical ailments, sometimes they just have physical causes. But in this instance, there is a spiritual cause that is attributed to it. 
Now, I don't know exactly how this demon caused this or what involvement this demon was in her life because there is no indication later in the passage that Jesus uh, dispossesses this woman of the demon. All it says is that he healed her of her ailment. So I don't know that she was demon possessed or if this was just somehow an external uh, pressure from this demon influence. I don't understand the relationship but somehow this spirit was involved in this woman's ailment and she'd been bent over and couldn't straighten up for 18 years. And what's interesting to me in verse number 12 is that Jesus is the one who takes notice of her. Jesus notices her. So in a lot of miracle accounts, the person who is afflicted will seek out Jesus, right? So they're, they're hurting, they're struggling. They'll seek Jesus out. They'll go and they'll ask him to be freed or delivered. But in this instance, Jesus is the one who initiates it. Jesus sees her and he has compassion on her. But it's really interesting that what he does, because in verse 12, it says that when he saw her, he calls her forward. Just think about that for a second. Here is a synagogue, and who knows how many people were there. Because Jesus was there, it was probably crowded. The the synagogue meeting place was probably full. There were probably people on the outside looking through the windows, people in the doorways, people standing up, no room to sit down. This was a full place. And Jesus looks over at the back, and he sees this woman kind of struggle in, crippled, bent over, He takes notice of her, he has compassion on her, and he says, come up here. He summons her, he calls her to walk and to come forward to the place where Jesus is. And I thought about that, you think, that seems kind of insensitive, that seems kind of harsh. Why wouldn't Jesus just go to her? She's crippled, right? She's bent over. Why call her to walk to him? And there there are a couple of ways of understanding that. One is perhaps Jesus is calling her to exercise faith and to demonstrate that faith by walking, by coming to him. But I think there's there's something else going on here. And that is that all the people in the room, their eyes are focused on Jesus, right? Jesus is teaching. He's probably reading the scriptures. He's, He's giving them a message. And so all the eyes are focused on him on this Sabbath day message. And he calls the woman to him, to the center of attention where he is so that all eyes would then be on this woman and what Jesus was about to do for her. And so I think he called her to the center, to where he was on purpose so that the people would see what he was about to do. And instead of shying away from a confrontation with the religious leaders or the Pharisees, Jesus, in essence, initiates it. He says, come here, come to the center, come to the, in the front of everyone. And he said to the woman in verse 12, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. She straightened up and praised God couple of things I want to point out here. One, in verse 12, he says, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Literally, you are loosed 
you are untied from your infirmity. And he's doing, he's using that word on purpose. We'll see in a second. Woman, you are untied, loosed from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and healed her. And again, in verse 13, as we've seen in all of the miracle accounts of Jesus, the, the, the healing is instantaneous, isn't it? It's instantaneous and it is full. It is complete. Whenever Jesus heals someone, he doesn't just heal them part way. He heals them all the way and they're fully restored. He can take someone who has never walked their whole life and fix whatever their problem is and give them the strength and the balance to be able to walk instantaneously. He has immediately healed this woman. She can straighten up. No more limitations, no more weakness in her, in her back, no more uh, tension and, and fusion in her spine. She's able to stand up and praise God. And notice whom she attributes the miracle to. It's God, isn't it? That's a mark of faith, especially because of the context in which we've seen recently in Luke, in which a lot of the religious leaders, who did they attribute Jesus' power to? The devil, right? This woman was influenced by a spirit. Jesus is setting her free from that oppression of the spirit, setting her free from her infirmity. This woman attributes it to God, but previously in Luke, we've seen the religious leaders attribute Jesus' power to the devil himself. This woman understands the true source, the true nature of Jesus' power, and she praises God. But notice the response of the synagogue leader in verse 14. You would think, right, that when seeing something like this, what would your response be? We heard a testimony of God's grace earlier in this service. And our response was, praise God. Thank God for what he's doing in this person's life. But that's not the response that you see from the synagogue leader. You would think you would see thanks and praise and glorifying God. Instead, he's mad. He's angry. He says he's indignant. Why? Because Jesus dared to heal on the Sabbath day. We knew that's where Luke was going when he showed us Jesus in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. It was coming. This confrontation was coming. And here the synagogue leader is upset because Jesus dares to do work, quote unquote work, on the Sabbath day. Now, we don't know if this man was a, was a, a Pharisee or not. He may have been a Pharisee, a part of the, the group of the Pharisees. But his specific position and title is he is the one in charge of the synagogue. So he arranges the, the schedule of the synagogue. Who's going to be the teacher for that day? And, and he makes sure that everything is set up and ready for the people to come and to gather on the Sabbath days. And he's upset. He's angry. And notice his response in verse number 14. You've got six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine, I mean, just yourself, just imagine having that response or imagine someone seeing that, seeing someone give that response. It's shocking, isn't it? It's shocking to our ears. It's shocking for us to hear. Jesus does a good work and this guy says, we're closed for business today. 
come back another time when we're open, right? That's essentially what he's saying. Imagine that you're at a, um, a birthday party in a backyard and a child falls into a pool and starts to drown. And you pull the child out and the doctor, there's a doctor there at the party. And you say, doctor, come over here quick. This child needs CPR. This child needs resuscitation. And the doctor says, sorry, this is Saturday. This is my day off, right? Monday through Friday, my office hours are open Monday through Friday. This is Saturday. This is my day off. That's ludicrous, right? That's essentially what this this synagogue leader is doing. No, this is the day off. You don't do work on the Sabbath day. Jesus calls him out for his hypocrisy. And really the people, the, the the Pharisees and the other religious leaders who are there, he says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Remember how he referenced the woman's sickness? He said, woman, you are untied from your sickness. He was going here all along because he knew what the response of the synagogue leader was going to be. So he says, woman, you're untied from your sickness. The the synagogue leader gets upset and Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey on the Sabbath day and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? The Pharisees had developed all these rules and regulations about what could and could not be done on the Sabbath day. They had like 39 regulations about what could and could not be done on the Sabbath day. And apparently one of the things that was allowed on the Sabbath day was you could lead your animal to water on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is in essence saying, what's work? What's harder to do? Is it harder for you to lead a stubborn donkey to water and let him drink on the Sabbath day? Or is it harder or easier for me to say to this woman, be healed? You're doing more work on the Sabbath day by leading your stubborn donkey to water than I just did in healing this woman. Because I'm the son of God, I have all power, right? Working for me is, it's infinite. I I can just say the word and this woman is healed. You're expending more energy, more work on tying and leading your donkey to the water. And on top of that, this is a child of Abraham. This is a daughter of Abraham. This is a person. You care more about your animals on the Sabbath day than a human being. And beyond a human being, this is a child of Abraham, a child of the promise in whom I made a covenant with. Where's your priorities? You've got it all upside down. You've got it backwards. And Jesus is revealing their blindness in this, isn't he? Their blindness, their hypocrisy. It's It's so amazingly shocking to us to see this kind of hypocrisy, but that's because as believers in Christ, our eyes have been opened, right? But when you're blind, you're blind. And you can't even see that you're blind. This man cannot see his own hypocrisy because he's blinded and he's hard-hearted and he has no 
compassion. Brother Venland sent me a quote this week from Warren Wearsby on this passage. And Warren Wearsby says about this passage, he says, who's to think that if this woman would come back on another day, that she could be healed then? Would Jesus be there then? Could he heal her? Could this synagogue leader heal her? No, Jesus was there then. He was available that day to heal her. And he makes the application, how many people come into the house of God expecting to be loved and welcomed and received, but walk away disappointed? Here is a woman who came and she received compassion from Jesus, but from the synagogue leader received indignation and rejection. Jesus had compassion on her and he's showing the error and the hypocrisy of these people treating their animals better than treating people, even daughters of Abraham. And in verse 17, it says, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. They were ashamed. They had, they had nothing to say. Now notice, they didn't change their minds about Jesus. They didn't repent. They didn't turn and all of a sudden believe in Jesus. They're still opposed to him. They just have nothing to say. They're humiliated. They're silenced. But the people, they were delighted with all the wonderful works that he was doing for, for some of them, their eyes were being opened, weren't they? And that's the same thing we've seen all along in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke, is that whenever Jesus says something, whenever Jesus does something, there is necessarily a response, isn't there? You can't avoid a response. There's always a response. You're either closing your eyes and making your heart harder, or you're opening your eyes and you're welcoming Jesus and the word that he teaches. And so for the religious leaders, they're becoming more hard-hearted, more blinded, more opposed to him, more angry. But for the people, for some of them, their eyes are being more opened to see who Jesus is and to welcome him. Then Jesus asked, and verses 18 through 21 could be treated as a separate message, but I think there's a connection. And, and that connection is made there when it says then, or therefore. So there's a link that Luke is intending for us to see. Then, or therefore, Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. And by the way, the language there of uh, becoming a tree and the birds coming and resting in its branches, that comes from Ezekiel 17. Jesus is using words of the prophet Ezekiel here. And again, he asked another parable, but very similar in meaning. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. What's the point that Jesus is making from these two very short parables? Well, in both of them, he is using the analogy or the object lesson of something very small. Something very small, something very insignificant, but which grows in influence, right? It grows and becomes larger and increases in its influence. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like that. Why would Jesus all of a sudden bring the kingdom of God into focus? Why, why would he do that? Well, it's because of what we saw earlier in the Gospel of Luke, 
when Jesus was in the synagogue a previous time. And in that instance, Jesus picked up a scroll and he read from Isaiah where it says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying this prophecy of Isaiah It's unfolding now in front of your very eyes. A little bit later in Luke 4, he says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. So why does Jesus bring in the theme of the kingdom of God into this healing of this crippled woman? It's because the two are related. And Isaiah 61 shows us the relation because Isaiah 61 is a prophecy of the coming kingdom of the Messiah. The coming kingdom of the Messiah. And what is the sign? What what are some of the indications that the kingdom of the Messiah has come? I have come to proclaim good news to the captives. I have come to heal the blind. I have come to heal the lame. I have come to preach deliverance. That's the link. What is Jesus doing in the synagogue on that day? He is healing the lame. He is healing the crippled and he is setting free. He is fulfilling Isaiah 61, but yet there are still some right there in that synagogue, religious leaders, people who may have had Isaiah 61 memorized and they can't see it. The kingdom of God is unfolding right in front of their very eyes. Why? Because the king, the king is there, right? Jesus is the king. The king is there and he's doing the works of the king. He's doing the works of the kingdom. He is healing the blind and healing the lame and their eyes can't see it. They're blind to it. And so Jesus says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It starts out so small, you can't even see it. Like a little mustard seed or like a little bit of yeast in a loaf of bread. It's so small, you can't even see it because there are some right here who are not seeing it. How did the kingdom of God start out? Started out with Jesus and just a few followers, right? Started out with a fisherman in a boat. Started out with a crippled woman who was healed. The kingdom of God started with just a few followers. But what is the kingdom of God today? The kingdom of God today is hundreds of millions of Christians on every continent, on the globe, in every nation, on this earth, spread around the world. It is a global universal dominion of Christ. So it started as a little mustard seed, but it grew and became a large tree where the birds could come and rest in its branches. It started out as just a little bit of of yeast, but it influenced the whole loaf of bread and caused the whole thing to rise. Jesus saying it's so small right now, you're going to miss it, but it's going to come and it's going to become something great and glorious in the plan of God. And again, it speaks to the way that the people were expecting one kind of a kingdom, but Jesus was bringing another one. 
The people were expecting this grand, glorious, triumphant, militaristic kingdom of a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman oppression, restore Israel to its glory under David and Solomon. But Jesus was saying, no, the kingdom that I'm bringing is not like that. The kingdom that I'm bringing starts as a mustard seed. It starts as a little bit of yeast in the bread, but it grows and it influences and it will fill the whole earth. And that's exactly what Ezekiel 17 pictures. It's exactly what Isaiah 61 pictures. It pictures a little seed that is planted and then grows and sprouts and fills the world. Jesus says the kingdom is here, but you're missing it. In this passage, Jesus is revealing to us that we as servants of the King of Kings, we are called upon to show compassion and to love our neighbor. Jesus showed that compassion in the way that he noticed this woman, in the way that he called her to himself and put his hands on her and healed her. Even when other people were indignant and upset that Jesus was doing this, Jesus did not care. He didn't let those things get in the way of doing what was right and good. Jesus says that loving people is more important than keeping your made-up man-made rules and regulations about the Sabbath day. Showing compassion and loving people, that's really what we should be doing on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was made for man, right? Not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a gift. You've turned it into a burden, a regulation. But Jesus, the King, he has compassion and he has love. And he's calling us as a part of his kingdom, his little seedling, fledgling kingdom that is growing and filling the earth, he is calling us to show that kind of compassion and love as well. And so as servants of the King of Kings, may we show compassion and love to our neighbor. Have our eyes been opened to see the King, to see his kingdom? I pray that they have. And may we live then as servants of the King and his kingdom. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, thank you so much for the love, the compassion that you showed to this woman through your servant, Jesus. As a model, it's an example of the kind of compassion and love that we should show to others. Father, open our eyes of faith to believe in Jesus. May we see the, the working, the growing, the influencing of the kingdom of God in this world. May we be a part of it. May we be a part of that little mustard seed that's growing and filling the earth and influencing the world. Lord, may we be your servants, faithful, loving, compassionate toward others, just as our Savior was. And we pray this in his name. Amen.